before moving from Corvallis to St. Michael's, someone, I don't know who it was, tried to steal my identity. So they took all the staff members' information and all the people in the pastoral council and they, he, they emailed them or he or she emailed them on my behalf. Basically, they were asking for uh, $50 cards for Amazon or something else. So when I met with the staff, I, tell, I told them, like, someone is trying to use my email and my name to uh, take money from you. And one of the staff members said, oh, far, don't worry. I, when I got the email, I instantly knew it was not you. He says, why? How did you notice? He says, well, the email was perfectly crafted and no spelling mistakes. <laughs> like, <laughs> those who get emails from me can understand that very well. Say, so, okay, thank you very much. <laughs> that was a great compliment. Long story short, I'm sure many of you have also experienced like someone trying to steal your identity. And if this is dangerous in like secular life, because they can steal your ID, your social security number, your bank account, your money, and so on and so forth, is more dangerous in the spiritual realm. It's one of the main goals of the enemy of the human race. He's an expert in identity theft. He wants us to forget who we are, and he wants us to doubt both the goodness of God and the goodness of each one of us. And that's why this feast of the baptism of the Lord is a reminder both of the identity of Christ and also our own identity. We should look at this feast of the baptism as a mirror. As Jesus goes and is baptized, we also are reminded of the gift we have received in our own baptism. That's why before anything, this is a good day to remember the day of your baptism. Not only the day on what happened, but the date. I was speaking with Sister Teresa and she told me, Oh, Father, I didn't remember when, when was the date of my baptism. And she says, last year you said it was in the Google calendar. So I went and I checked and it was there. And I passed it. I didn't notice it. It was October 21st. Anyway, that's a great thing to do. Put it in your calendar and every year give thanks for it. So we read this beautiful passage, very simple, of the baptism of Jesus through the lenses of Mark. He goes into the Jordan River. He's baptized by John the Baptist. The heavens are open. That's a very beautiful image. They saw that the heavens were opened Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. And then a voice is heard. The voice of the Father. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. That's where Jesus finds or reveals or manifests in a deeper way this identity as a son. You are my Beloved son, says the father, in you I am well pleased. These words might have been so confirming and so 
penetrating in the heart, the human soul of Jesus. We can distill some things of this passage or this identity rebuilt in the Jordan River. The first one is that the identity of Christ precedes any activity. The baptism of Jesus takes place either before the start of the public life or as the first step of the public life. So before preaching, healing, before doing, Jesus is. Being precedes doing. And this is very relevant for us because many times we are the opposite. We find our identity in what we do, in our titles, in our jobs, in our profession. And that's why many times we lose our jobs and we feel like at loss. Such an integral part of our identity, all these activities we do, that we don't find like a deeper source, a deeper foundation for who we are. And it's true, like, what we do is part of our identity. If you are a mother, well, being a mother is part of your identity. If you have a job in whatever profession, it is part of who you are. But it's not the deepest level. So Christ in the Jordan, in the first place, finds this deep sense of who he is. I'm a beloved son. He's my heavenly father. And from there, from that certainty, from that inner center, he does all that he's going to do. His public life unfolds from that inner certainty of being a son. In the second place, this identity is from heaven, is vertical. The heavens are open and the Father speaks. It's a very vertical identity. It's coming from on high, in a sense. Something similar happens to other characters in the Bible. St. Paul, he thought he was Saul of Tarsus. He, he thought this about himself. But on the way to Damascus, Jesus gives him a new name. He receives an identity from on high. The same Peter, when he says, you are the Christ, Jesus says, you are Cephas, Kephas. And upon this rock I will build my church. So Peter and Paul, they received this voice, this name that reveals ultimately who they are. It's an identity received from above. Someone who loves them reveals to them who they are. And this stands in opposition or in contrast with two kind of extremes we can fall into. The first one is to think that you create your own identity. What Bishop Barron calls, we live in a culture of self-invention. I invent myself. I determine, I determine whatever I want. I unfold my identity without anyone telling me what to do or who I am. 
is completely self-sufficient and independent. The other extreme is to be too much dependent on the expectation of others, the voice of others, the opinion of others, especially those who love you the most, like the expectation of your parents, of your co-workers, of your family. So a vertical identity stands in the middle because it's a very balanced thing. It takes into account who you are, what you have, and how your life unfolds. And also it takes into account your relationality. You're a social being, so it is the Father who reveals to you who you are. So Jesus strengthens his identity coming from on high on the Jordan. Third, Jesus receives an identity that is empowering. The baptism in the Jordan is a source of confirmation, of strength. He walks from the Jordan River and he goes to the desert to pray, to be tempted, and then he begins to his public life. He begins to preach, to teach. Peter says in the second reading today in the book of Acts, he went about doing good and healing all those oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus knew so well that the Father was endorsing him, was loving him, was strengthening him. He knew so well that God was with him that he found a, a new strength for mission, for loving. And that's also true of anyone who builds his or her own identity in Christ. You find a new confidence, a new strength, a new impulse to love and to give yourself. So in the Jordan, Jesus manifests this beautiful identity of being a beloved son. But then he has identity refreshers. At Mount Tabor, the Father speaks, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he prays, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me. Jesus walks through Galilee and Jerusalem knowing that whenever he prays, the Father listens to him. Before going to the cross, he says, I am not alone because the Father is with me. I am not alone. The heavens are open and the Father is with me. I am a son and he's my father and he cares for me. Whatever I go, whatever I do, whatever I say. That's how Jesus lived. And the good news is that the Lord wants to share nothing less than all that he is with you. In the day of your baptism, something very powerful happened. The heavens were opened. The water touched your head. 
the priest said, I baptize you. But from on high, the father begins to see his son in you. The father begins to cherish you in the same way that he cherishes his son, Jesus. The father clothes you, in a sense, with the life of Christ. The father says, I love you. Your life matters to you, to me. You're not alone. I walk with you. And don't forget this. Steal it in your heart. I was reading this sermon by John Henry Newman. It's called The Gospel Revealed as a Particular Providence. It's all whole sermon of the love of God. Very beautiful. I just put you the last paragraph, and I'm going to change the D for you because it's going to be distracting if I say all the Ds. You can read from the screen. It says, God beholds you individually. Whoever you are, he calls you by name. He sees you and understands you, and he made you. He knows that what is in you all your own peculiar feelings and thoughts, your dispositions and likings, your strength and your weakness. He views you in the day of rejoicing and the day of sorrow. He sympathizes in your hopes and your temptations. He interests himself in all your anxieties and remembrance, all the risings and fallings of your spirit. He has numbered the very hairs of your head, the cubits of your stature. He compasses you around and bears you in his arms. He takes you up and sets you down. He note, notes your very countenance, whether smiling or in tears, whether healthful or sickly. He looks tenderly upon your hands and your feet, he hears your voice, the beating of your heart, and your very breathing. You do not love yourself better than he loves you. Do you believe this? This is the essence of Christianity. The love that the Father has for you. This is the foundation of who you are. A beloved son who God beholds individually. God sees each one of us individually. He calls you by name. He sees you. He understands you. He made you. He knows what is in you right now. Your peculiar feelings. Your inner thoughts. What you like your strength, he knows your weaknesses. He sees you when you rejoice and when you suffer, in your dreams and in your temptations. He's interested in all your anxieties, whatever worries you, in all your memories. When you rise and when you fall in your spirit, he has numbered the hairs of your head and he bears you in his arms. He embraced Jesus in the day of his baptism. 
He embraces you. He takes you up. He notices your countenance. Whether you smile or whether you cry. When you're sick or healthy. He looks tenderly upon your hands and your feet. He hears your voice. The beating of your heart. And your very breathing. Even if you have a mask, he can feel it. You do not love yourself better than he loves you. So let us pray for the grace of being mindful of this identity that we have received as beloved sons and daughters of the Father. I invite you in this week just to pray with this line of the gospel. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Try to repeat it. Try to pray with it. You can also put it in, in, in the first tense. I am your beloved child in whom you are well pleased. Repeat it many times. Did you believe it until it becomes the background music of your soul? And today, for those who are at Mass here, when you receive Holy Communion, ask Jesus to pray it with you. Ask Jesus to join your spirit and say it with the same faith and the same love that Jesus might have said it on the Jordan, I am your son. And let the father answer back, you are my child. Whatever you do, whatever you think, you're my beloved child. In you, I am well pleased.